It's time for the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Batman, Wonder Woman, Marvel, Spider-Man, Image, Spawn, Saga, Boom, Once and Future, Power Rangers, or whatever book or publisher you follow. We cover them all here. This is the place for you. That's right. It's for everyone. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast, and I am your host, Theo. This is going to be a special episode. Uh, I recently sat down with Jason Douglas to discuss his graphic novel, his Ringo-nominated graphic novel, Parallel. And so that's what I'm going to bring you today. I'm going to bring you that interview. Uh, But as always, we're going to look at the news first and there's really not much uh, to cover in the news since I just recently released another episode. Uh, So right now the only thing in the news is that solicits for the month of December is out uh, from both DC and from Marvel. So if you want of course take a look at those and see what's going to be coming out of course I'll be covering it on a uh, future episode when we do our previews. Uh, So just real quick on the Marvel side, uh, we have a few titles, a few series that are coming to an end. Uh, Inferno's coming to an end, which is the X-Men series from Jonathan Hickman, as well as Trial of Magneto. So both of those are going to be coming to an end. But also uh, Hellions, which is the X-Book team led by Cyclops that's going to be ending and it also looks like Marauders is going to be ending as well uh, in December Uh, so be on the lookout for that and we'll we'll discuss more when we do the previews episode and then the big thing for me at least for me is that they are going to be doing another She-Hulk omnibus and this is going to be a savage She-Hulk omnibus so we've seen them do uh, one volume. Uh, no, we've seen them do John Byrne. We've seen them do Peter David, and now they're doing uh, the Savage She-Hulk as well. So that's going to be big for me when it uh, when it releases. I'll definitely be ordering that. But on the DC side, on the DC side, the biggest thing for me on the DC side, the biggest thing for me is the long-awaited, long-desired, long-prayed-for, hoped-for, fan-desired Batgirls has finally been announced from DC. So that is going to be releasing in the month of December. Uh, It is going to be written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad with art by Jorge Corona. I'm not sure how I feel just yet. I know I've been clamoring and fussing and raging at DC for them to announce the series, but I'm I'm withholding judgment until I read the the short that's going to be in the upcoming Urban Legends issue to see where Becky and Michael take the Batgirls. So we know that it's going to be in the continuity of. Uh, James Tynan's Batman universe. So 
But I just want to see. I'm, I'm, I'm going to withhold judgment until I read that story in Urban Legends because what we've seen in the past few Batgirl stories that they've released, uh, they haven't been great. They haven't been great at all. So I'm just going to withhold judgment on that until till I see more. And then the other thing of work of note in solicitations for December is that uh, as we get to the end of December and going into the month of January, Detective Comics is going to be going weekly. I'm not certain how long that's going to happen. I don't know if it's just for the month of January or maybe even February. But uh, if you see the solicits, you'll see that uh, it releases, the December issue releases on December 28th. And then the following issue releases that following Tuesday on January the 4th. And then the following issue is that following week on January the 11th. So as the person who currently uh, reviews Detective Comics on the Batman universe, uh, that's going to be a wild ride for me. Uh, so yeah, be on the lookout for those weekly reviews. Uh, again, uh, I don't know for certain if it's just for January or if it's actually for January and for February. But yeah, Detective Comics is going to be going weekly for a while so that will be fun to see how it goes uh, especially considering how uh, how much I've enjoyed the work from Mariko Tamaki and the art from Dan Mora but that that's the big thing for me from the two uh, from the two big two publishers uh, so with that in mind I want to go ahead and get into this interview I did with Jason Douglas uh, again I uh, had the opportunity to read Parallels a few weeks ago, and this was a book that actually came out uh, in 2020, uh, but a lot of things happened, of course, with COVID and everything that kind of put things on hold with regards to uh, just marketing of the book and everything that Jason wanted to do. But uh, the book is published by SourcePoint Press. Uh, and he and I recently sat down to discuss everything about the book, how it came together, his thoughts behind it, and how how it came to be. Uh, so I truly hope that you all enjoy uh, this interview I did with Jason Douglas uh, regarding his graphic novel, Parallel. Jason Douglas, welcome to the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It is an absolute honor and pleasure to be on with you today. Writer Jason Douglas, or should I say Ringo Award nominated writer. That Jason. is the uh, that is the latest news on my uh, my my journey into this uh, this dream come true um, uh, uh, side career of mine, late blooming side career. Yeah, two Ringo nominations for my very first book, Parallel. From Source Point Press, uh, uh, best writer and best single issuer story. Um, a bit mind blowing, uh, a major honor, and uh, certainly something that I'm excited about. Well, congratulations on that. So before we we get into Parallel and the story behind Parallel, uh, tell the fans a little bit about Jason Douglas. 
So I am uh, I am no spring chicken. I am not uh, I am not uh, you know uh, 22 years old writing my first book. I am over 40 and a uh, 22 year veteran of public education, but a lifelong comic fan, right? And so um, th- this this thing that has been happening the last you know a chunk of time, uh, writing my first book and getting it published, and then you know the feedback and uh, the interacting with fans. Uh, now that cons are starting to come back, and then obviously the nominations and things of that nature is is a little bit later in life, and certainly not the original direction I took. But man, oh man, like. Um, something that has been a lifelong dream. And, and when we talk about parallel in a little bit, you'll see some, and excuse me for saying this, some parallels between, you know, those, that dream deferred theme uh, that a lot of people have in life and, and, and maybe uh, it's never too late for that second chance. Yeah. I, I definitely know that, that dream deferred notion. I, I bought script software, oh, about five years ago and mm-hmm. never put that script together. So eventually one day I'm going to be a Jason Douglas too and write my first script. But without That sounds good. Hey, like seriously, um, it, it, it's one of these things where you just have to do it. Um, uh, I met I met one of my writing heroes, Neil Gaiman, way back in 2004, you know, long before this was even a spark in my mind. Um, and I met him at this, this, uh, it was actually a computing, uh, computer and open sourcing convention that, uh, that he was at in Michigan. And I got to some private time with him because my fourth graders, which I was teaching at the time had written him all these letters and we were reading uh, Coraline each year by candlelight. And he, uh, wrote back to the kids and signed a bunch of stuff. And, and one of his daughters at the time was like about the same age that I was teaching. And we had like this great conversation. And one of the things he said to me, and he said this publicly as well, is like, you know, you know, how you write a comic is you write a comic, right? How you do something is you do it. Um, because it's always easier to do nothing than something. And even though it sounds kind of trite on the surface, um, it won't exist in the world until you do the thing. Right. And it won't necessarily be good, but once it's out there, you can make it better. But um, like the thing that I tell people and I tell, you know, students, this, I tell people who ask me advice about comics, this it's like all I can't guarantee what happens when you sit down and finally pull the trigger and pursue your dream. But I can absolutely promise you that if you don't do it, nothing will happen. That's absolutely guaranteed. And that is some great advice. That is great advice. So uh, you mentioned fourth grade. Are you still teaching fourth grade now? No. So I've been, I I spent like the first 13 years of my career teaching elementary school, third and fourth grade. And then I've been a a middle school teacher and a middle school English teacher, specifically eighth grade for the last, this will be year nine. So, um, you know, going from, going from like 10 year olds to, uh, to teenagers and literally spending uh, the bulk of (laughs) the bulk of my year convincing uh, 13 and 14 year olds that grammar is not boring, which is, I'll tell you what. So um, I did my first like real deal convention uh, uh, last month, Astronomicon in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, um, and I was really nervous going into it because, you know, this was like the last piece of the puzzle, right? It was a full year delayed from when I was supposed to start the convention circuit in the summer of 2020. And for obvious reasons, all that kind of went away, all my signings and all my cons and stuff. Right. And I was really nervous because, you know, not only just the doing something and trying something new, but like, um, this was, like I just said, the, the last piece of the puzzle, right? You know, I, I, 
I wrote and I and I worked with an artist and 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 then the the, the letters came in and the promotion happened and like all these steps of this dream come true happened and then there's this big long fat pause to do that last piece where you're out in the world and you're interacting and you're selling it and you're signing it and you're, you're, you're that, that that thing that I had been on the other side of the table so many times before meeting people and 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 interacting with creators that way. And uh, so I was a little nervous ahead of time. And what I said to myself, like to kind of like, okay, calm down. I was like, if you can, if you can look 180 teenagers in the eye every single day and say, look, I'm going to make nouns exciting. You could probably sell a comic book to somebody who's there, you know, looking to buy a comic book. So that's kind of how I, the attitude I went into that. And it was just a blast that first con. That's great. And yeah, and, and, and fans, especially, Fans are, and I say this from experience, as someone who I've, I have been to one, two, three cons this year, and I'll be going to my fourth when I head to Baltimore in October. You know, so when you get someone who is passionate about their project, you can get a hard sell. You can, you know, I'm quick to drop a dollar, you know, to, to pick up a book. And, you know, when you reached out to me, I was like, Oh yeah, let throw, throw this at me. Let me let me let me take a look at it, especially yeah. knowing knowing that it was nominated for Ringo. You know, so that's that's a great accomplishment. So you mentioned that you are a comic book reader. So what are you reading when you're not teaching? So um I did I've got I feel like even though my story on how parallel came to be and how parallel got published is extremely atypical for how the comic industry works in the 21st century. My story as a comic book fan is pretty much a cliche, right? Um, I came to it a little bit late. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't reading comics until I was about 12, um, almost pushing 13, but I did that thing where I dove really, really deep on it when I was a kid. And then sometime late in teenage years, walked away for about nine years, right? You know, that thing, you know, other interests and whatever, and went off to school and, and I kind of left it behind for a while and then, um, came back in my twenties. Uh, it was actually Neil Gaiman once again, who brought me back into the comic shops. Uh, it was, uh, when he was publishing, uh, that project for Marvel, uh, 16 Two, I think it was called and I uh, went back into shops and then like my, you know, my, my collector mentality kicked back in and I was all in again, uh, uh, times 10 from even where I was as a kid. Um, but I am, I'm somebody who um, is kind of as a comic fan. And I guess I was as a kid too, but definitely now pretty much split down the middle 50, 50, a uh, half of me is, the 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 collector right like i like i like my keys uh i like i like the i like those books that like oh look at that jumping up in price for whatever reason yeah, and you better and, you know and you putting better. in my top loaders and putting it in my long boxes and like ooh, ooh, and maybe and completing a run of this and that you know I, i've got that collector i've got that completest mentality though i will tell you it's not just about chasing those grails like when i make my list um like you look at my want list that I'll, I'll like take to like a show or a shop or whatever. It is pretty much evenly split between, you know, am I casually looking for a copy of daredevil number one? Of course I am. But right next to that on my list is like, 
uh, trying to complete this run of things that you're only going to find in dollar bins anyway. And when I, and when you, you get that, you know, that, that, that feeling you get yeah. that rush you get and it's like, Oh, you found this yeah. for a great price. Yeah. That feels good. But man, when you find that thing that completes that run from your dollar bin pulse, Ooh, just as good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody who knows me knows that I've been trying to rebuild my Batman collection since okay. I lost it in Katrina. And you know, that's the expense of the collector side of it. But yeah. A lot of people like, you collect Batgirl? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Cassandra Kane fan. I sure. like that character. So anything that I can find about that character, I am looking to pick up. And again, like you were saying, a lot of that stuff is in a dollar bin and will never be worth anything in life. But that is just one of my favorite characters. And if I could find anything about her, yeah, I'm picking it up. You so know? that that actually that's actually kind of so so a lot of my you know, I'm trying to put together right now. Uh, I just finished my New Mutants run about six months ago. Um, I'm trying to put together a Dazzler run, uh, that that uh, mid-80s run of The Thing. Um, I'm one issue away from completing a run of, uh, of Marvel Fanfare. Um and, and stuff like that. But but a lot of times, like like with you, for me, it's sometimes it's a, like an artist or a writer or whatever. And like, like, give me any of those uh, uh, Mignola covers, like from his 80s work and, and stuff like that. And um, and that kind of transfers to that other half of me as a comic book fan, which is like I'm really, really loyal to the people I'm fans of. Right. So the other half of me is just completely the reader. Right. So you have like, use collectability. Like I have got my favorite authors. I've got my favorite creators. I've got my favorite universes and maybe even a label or two. And it's like, just give me all of that. And that's the, that's the stuff that I read and reread and reread. Not so much the collectability of it, but more like these are the stories that I like to consume and then reconsume. So it's safe to assume you have a lot of Neil Gaiman. I have got, a lot of Neil Gaiman. I've got a lot of Mike Mignola. I've got, uh, you know, in the modern era, I've got a lot of uh, Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent. And uh, oh yeah, once I've picked my people, oh, I am uh, fiercely loyal and one it all. I've got that completest mentality too, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of like the way I consumed, like like my whole life, the way I consumed movies and music, like like greatest hits albums. Get out of here. Get out of here. I don't I have no use for grace. If I like your band, I want everything you ever made, right? Um, if I like Neil Gaiman, I don't want I don't want just Sandman, even though Sandman's my favorite. I want everything he's ever written, you know? Right. Okay. Well let's let's talk a little bit now about Parallel and the story about Parallel. You know, how did this idea of math and geometry and alternate universes and mental health all come together to produce this thrilling story that that parallel gives us so the short answer is slowly and from about a million different directions because you've got this idea where somewhere in the back of my head this has always been the dream right but it was never the fire i never lit the fire the catalyst was never there it was never enough to um to initiate the, that that first tough step of getting started and um you know the existential dread that is one of like the of time passing which is one of the major themes of the book is just something that i'm experiencing as, as most people do and time is passing and time is passing and in fact 
um, opportunities start to come up. I mean, you know, in 2004, Neil Gaiman tells you, yeah, just go do it. And that wasn't enough. <laughs> that wasn't enough to motivate me, right? Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say about like somewhere between six and eight months before I even sat down to, to write the first half of the script, um, I was on the phone with with my buddy Pete, who uh, uh, I had known since college, and we went to like uh, you know teacher college together, and and we're good friends, and we were in each other's weddings, and we were both comic book nerds when we were kids, and just doing that thing that uh, comic book nerds do every once in a while, we're like brainstorm ideas, and 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 the idea for the the sci fi construct that parallels wrapped in comes up in this conversation, you know, this idea of of uh, of an alternate version of you reaching out, and and what would that look like, and and how would that go, and and that wasn't even enough. To like kick me into gear. What happened was, and I think this is kind of like at the core of the story is, so I, you know, I've been in the teaching game long enough at this point where some of my former students are, are literally having their quarter life crises right now, right? They're pushing 30 and going through that thing that Landon does in the book where you have these dreams in your early twenties and you believe you have all the time in the world. Cause we always do. Um, and then you wake up and it's been five years, it's been 10 years. And it's like, where's that time gone? And maybe that opportunity has gone forever. And, and, and then how the, how that depression or anxiety or however that manifests with you kind of turns into what the kids are calling the quarter life crisis these days. And there was actually a specific conversation that I had with this former student who I'm still in contact with, where she just kind of said to me, like, I, 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 I took that job because I had all the time in the world. And now I'm not in Chicago and I haven't opened the dance studio. And I knew that was going to happen. And now I don't think it ever will. And something just clicked in my brain and it kind of came together. And it was that summer right there. Uh, instead of sitting down that summer and writing a, a one act play, which I usually did each summer for like the drama clubs that I ran for school, um, I was like, well, it's time and everything came together. Um, and the story was there and I sat down and wrote the first half of parallel that summer. Um, uh, the first 32 pages, right, to, right to the middle point, right to when landing comes out of the coma and, and believes everything that's happening is real. I wrote that first half very much in a bubble, right? This is not connected to a publisher. This is not connected to an artist. This is not connected to anything besides the fire was burning in me. I had the story to, to tell and it was time. So let's, <clears throat> excuse me, let's talk a little bit about our main characters, Landon and Landon. Yes. I'll call, I'll call him Parallel Landon. Okay. Uh, you know, Landon, you know, he, as you mentioned, he seems to be in an abusive relationship. He loves his wife, but of course it doesn't seem she has that, that same love in return. Is he... And I don't want to spoil too much for those who haven't read the story. And if you haven't read the story, you need to read the story. And I'm going to post the link to Source Point so that you can uh, get it digitally if you like in the show notes. You can get you can get it digitally and you can get paper copy from them, but there are not a lot of copies left. And probably they're going to be gone by the time Baltimore rolls around. So you want to get a copy right now, now is the time. Yeah, SourcePointPress.com. You can get digital and you can get uh, paper copy from them. Yes, and again, the link will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to go and get a copy. I strongly suggest you do so. But as we as we think about the parallel lines and the parallel universes, and I did, mm -hmm. and I just want to say first of all, damn you, because <laughs> I, I I got about a quarter of a way through the book, 
And yeah. I'm saying, okay, I got this figured out. I know how this is going to okay. end. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I, I, I know, th- I, I'm thinking this is going to be a six cents type of ordeal. And I know yeah. how it's going to end. And we get to the end and I'm like, well, what the? Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Can I, I'm going to interject because I didn't answer your original question. You specifically <laughs> want to know where the geometry of it all came from. And I'm going to tell you that's straight from fourth grade math. Like, like, because, because you know how I mentioned that I kind of wrote it in a bubble and I, I'm not, I don't have an artist attached or anything. So first script, I'm trying to balance everything in my brain that I know slash think I know about how you make a comic, which in the end is nothing because you're a newbie, but like also you're bringing in all, all your preconceptions and whatever. And, and I'm trying to balance all these things in my head about, about pacing the story. And, and, and I wrote a very, especially that first half, it's a very thorough script about uh, down to panel sizes and panel designs and things like that. And one of the things I really wanted to do was be, even though I'm not a, a visual artist myself, I wanted to do some creative or at least clever or at least maybe poignant, but definitely um, apropos things with shapes and sizes of not only what's happening in the panels, but the panels themselves that relate to the themes of the story. And what came into my head first was like that idea that I used to teach very simply to fourth graders in math about parallel lines, never intersecting and, and and what that means. And then, and then breaking that construct down to what happens if it does relating to obviously this concept of parallel worlds. So that's where that, I mean, that came from a very simple place of, you know, 10 year olds, learning the basics of geometry from you. And so talking about those, those parallel lines, those parallel universes, you know, the idea that one can, while being parallel, actually intersect. Yeah. For some reason, as I read it the second time, read the book the second time, I began to think whether or not it wasn't parallel Landon who intersected, but actually was it Landon who intersected simply because of the decisions he made in life, you know, leaving, leaving the band, marrying the woman that everybody in the band just knew was bad for him. And, you know, it seemed like all the other parallel lives, and we see that there are actually more by the end of the book, all pretty much in the same direction, but he wasn't. So was he the one that actually crossed or was Parallel Landon really the one that, let me go and grab this fool and, and put him back on the right track? Right. So I think that's a that's that's a question that I'm I'm going to leave to you because the thing that you said earlier really, really made me smile. Because obviously this book, if, if you've read it, it's there's a lot of ambiguity to it, right? And and I think you kind of you're kind of expressing that when you said like I was a quarter way through, I had it figured out, and then it changes on the next page or the next panel, and then it changes back, and like that happens that happens on two levels, right? Like that happens, Landon himself throughout this book. One page, he's absolutely convinced that what's happening to him is 100% real, right? He's interacting with other Landon, and he knows it's real, right? There's physical contact. He's having the conversation. He knows it's real. And then a couple pages later, he's with the other people in his life going, I'm clearly, I've got something, something's going wrong. Uh, um, I'm losing it. I'm going crazy. And then he's back again. 
And, and hopefully like as a reader, you go back and forth too, going, Oh yeah, this is totally real or nope. This is all a construct of his brain. He's the one reaching out, whether it's real or not. Um, and then like the ending, which we're, we'll probably not spoil. I would hope, you know, that ending is, is pretty open. Right. And how you interpret like what happens to him at the end. And I love the fact that you went back and reread it. I mean, that's so, so I think I mentioned before, that's one of the things that I'm, a fan of in comics the most is rereadability. And that was something I was really, uh, was really in my designs from the beginning. Like I want something that not only do you get your bang for your buck for, you know, 64 pages, pretty densely packed, but like you want to go back and read it again and maybe you interpret it differently the next time. Let me just say, I, I, the way I wanted it to end again, I'm not going to spoil it. I wanted him and the psychiatrist to somehow hook up. Okay. <laughs> but but once you get to that page when he's walking out of the pharmacy, yeah, and, and that 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 panel happens, yeah. I'm like, okay, I, again, I know where it's well, going. Well, it's a little bit, and we we can talk about it. So there's this. I mean, his he's in a he's in a pretty loveless relationship, and 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 not only is his life stagnant, but like uh, the drifting apart of, of he and his wife is pretty intense by the time the book even opens, and um. And there's this point where things are looking up for him, right? He, he's, he, he's getting the mental, uh, mental help that he needs. Uh, he hasn't had contact with the kind of um, uh, uh, the, the toxic relationship that he's got with the other him and all the cost of this second chance that the other him is offering. And he bumps into a lovely young lady on the way out of the pharmacy and it's a wonderful moment. And then, I mean, you know, uh, a couple panels later, it all gets as about as bad as it gets and other land in his back and it all falls apart for him. I mean, like if you want to like talk about, you know, how sausage is made, like that moment of hope uh, for him there. Uh, that was almost a double down. Like in my brain, it was like, clearly he's at an upswing with his work, um, you know, with a psychologist. And then I wanted to even double down and like, oh my God, here's another ray of hope in the world of love. So that when the crash comes, it, it's not falling from five feet, it's falling from 500. Yeah, you had, you had, you really wanted to jerk him back. And, oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and and at the point that smile occurs and you're like, uh-huh. ah, here we go. Here we go. Bam. And, you know, it just, oh, no, not again. And it just, I'm like, that was awesome. Because, again, like I said, I'm having my hopes, you know, and you can see the look in the psychiatrist's eye that she's looking at him and he's looking at her and yeah. they're gelling with their with their therapy. Again, it's a, it's a therapeutic session, but they're really gelling. She, he's really starting to understand how she's trying to help him and hopefully right. you know it moves beyond that especially considering what the cop and his wife were going through yeah but again he goes into the store he walks out the store and oops excuse me oh that face looks familiar theo yeah. here we go the story's coming together again bam i'm back and right. you know right, that right, right. Was, that was just that was just a great way of of bringing the story back together. Well, I yeah. love that. I love that you locked in on that, and and then the fact that you just mentioned uh, uh, Claire and the detective too. So, so I have I have a whole lot of sympathy for Claire in the second half of the book. Um, it's very you know, like you mentioned, she she comes across very much as the bad guy in the as almost the antagonist in the first half. 
And I end up having a whole lot of sympathy for her in the second half of the book because um, and I think this ties to something else that you said, like every single thing, whether you believe this is really happening to him or it's all in his head, it's still all self-created, right? Yes. Every single decision that Landon makes that leads to uh, his stagnation and his anxiety, his depression, and then and then these decisions he's having to make about his own physical well-being because of the offer that other Landon's making him, um, it's still all decided by him. And so, like, you see him kind of, like, flailing around in the second half of the book, um, you know, reaching out to people from his past and people from his present, uh, trying to get some kind of resolution and uh, a final decision about what he's going to do. And it kind of comes up against, like, these walls of all these people are saying, like, dude, you left us, right? Like, you made the decision to, to break up the band. You did this. You did this. This is all on you. This is – you didn't determine – you determined your own life. And so, like, I have a lot of sympathy for her because you'll notice she still shows up. Oh, yeah. She, it, I mean, she's broken. I mean, she – I mean, and, and I mean, you know, she's got, she's got her faults, but so does he. And you don't necessarily see him in the front half, and you definitely do. You see his warts and all in the second half of the book. And, and she is – and whether there's still love there or not, she still cares about him for sure when i mean she doesn't show up to take him to the hospital after the scene at the top of the stairs right unless it's real unless there's something there so you know i I definitely agree with with what you're saying with uh how she feels about him and and having a little bit of sympathy for her now you know what you know what really something that really uh, i'm excited that you picked up on um because it was actually a bit more on the nose in the original script and then bob sally who's my editor who i learned more than anything about comic books from because he's a heck of a writer himself actually it was one of the scenes he cut down a bit for pacing and a bit for page count but um you picked up on the fact that there's something developing between the detective and, and probably claire and there's that scene where he comes back to her office and like tries to give her the card again and that kind of thing. And they, they, they kind of connect there. That scene was almost, um, I'm going to say a half a page, three fourths of a page longer. And there was a bit, it was a, it was a less subtle, you know what I mean? Like there was a bit more eye contact. There was a bit more awkward, blah, 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 a bit more flirty. And that was something that I was, I had a bit more on the nose and I'm so glad that you still picked up on it. Cause that was like, I wanted her to have that moment too um that bit of moment of hope uh as things are spiraling out of control even on her end yeah and, and you mentioned you, you mentioned just a little bit ago some of this just all this all of this may just be in landon's head sure know? and and in all of this could be true it could be a parallel mm-hmm. being and that what that's what make this book so awesome for me was the fact that there were just so many ways you can look at it. There were just so many ways that you can come to a conclusion of why this turned out to be this way. Like I said, three quarters of the the way in, I'm like, I already know how it's going to end. And then all of a sudden, you know, again, bam, it turns it around. And, you know, that's, that, that's what just makes it so so wonderful and so awesome and truly enjoyable. So let's talk a little bit about the rest of the creative team. Sure. So we, whenever I listen to writers speak about how they got into the industry, they talk about 
you know, you put your script together and you just throw it out there and, and you find an artist that's willing to put it together for you and get the letters done for you. Is that how it worked for you? Is that how you and Adam connected? Not even close. Like this, it's such a, I've got to be very careful. I consider myself very lucky and I've been told by my colleagues that you, you got to be careful on using the word lucky because what it does is it undermines a little bit of not only your own effort, but the blood, sweat and tears that other people put into the job as well. So, um, you know, this story exists, this book exists, it's done what it's done in the world as a, as a small press indie publishing, you know, whatever, uh, because of a lot of people's hard work, including mine, but I'm still ridiculously lucky because I, it did not get produced the way 99% of 21st century comics get produced. Okay. This was not a Kickstarter. Uh, this was not crowdfunded. This was not, um, a creative team starting as a team and then finding a publisher afterwards. Um, and part of that is to do with, uh, regardless of my, my advanced age over 40, I still like, I'm a bit archaic, even for a 40 year old dude in like, not knowing <laughs> how all that stuff works anyway. Like, you know, years and years ago, my wife bought me my first iPod. I was like new technology, forget it. Sat under my bed for a full year before I opened it. And then was addicted. You know what I mean? Like I will resist whatever's new or, or uh, claim blissful ignorance until I am absolutely forced to do it. So when I wrote the first half and I saw kind of being unaware of, of how you produce a comic in the 21st century uh, uh, through crowdfunding and stuff like that, um, I just started poking around online about, you know, did, did anybody have open submission policies, right? I'm kind of still thinking like it's the 90s and um, nobody wants your script. Right. Most people don't have open submission policies anyway, most companies and, and nobody wants your script. They do. Maybe they want your art to look at that. And while that was discouraging, I wasn't completely deterred. And what I did is I, I put together a paper copy of the script in in uh, uh, those uh, file folder manila envelopes from my classroom that you're familiar with. Put these beautiful color paper clips on the cover letter from my desk in my classroom and went to Motor City Comic Con and literally with the plan of handing a script like it was the 1970s or something to publishers. And it just so happened that the, the first booth I saw uh, was source point press. Cause it's always, the, I mean, they were cutting their teeth before they hit previews, before they hit their Simon and Schuster deal, before they blew up and became one of the fastest growing like indie publishers in the country. Um, they were cutting their teeth for almost 10 years in the con circuit and being brilliant at it. So they had this great display and, I caught the uh, eye of this this dude with this glorious giant red beard, and it just happened to be Travis McIntyre, the co-founder, uh, president, and editor-in-chief of SourcePoint. Walked up to that guy and like handed him this thing with with this energy, and, and like, here, will you read? You know, would you like my comic? And you know, he knows how comics are made in the 21st century, so he's looking at me, and I'm not picking up on the social cues. Like, like you're a weird human. Why are you even doing this? Are you trying to sell me a comic in 1971? But he's like, I kind of like the cut of your jib. I tell you what, you got a lot of energy. I bet you got some hustle in you. I'll read this tonight. You come back and see me tomorrow, and we were in business. Wow. And then what happened was wow. very much atypical, like I said, to how things are made these wow. days they found me Adam Fair. So like, like I came back the next day to the con on the Saturday and Travis is like, um, okay, it's not issues. It's 64 page. It's a one shot. Can you go home and write me the second half and 
whether I could or couldn't, I said, yes, you know, <laughs> my first fit, like, yes, of course I can. I don't know if I could. And then he's like, I've got an artist in mind already. And like, they found all that stuff for me. So that's why, that's why it's hard for me to not say I feel very lucky. Wow. Right? They hooked me up with Justin Birch for the letters. They hooked me up with Bob Sally, editor Supreme. Um, and, and then that's how like that is. So then I got to live that lighter uh, writer's dream in the second half and working with Adam and getting to do that thing where, um, after seeing his sample pages and his character sketches going, Oh, this guy can do ambiguity and this guy can do darkness. And, and not that the second half of parallel wasn't going to be dark anyway, but like, I got to, I got to build some more intense scenes. I mean, that, that scene at the top of the stairs where Landon's got a pretty big self-harm decision to make. Right. Yeah. Um, like I, like I drawn out a couple more panels and we dimmed the lights on it a little bit. And I was like, cause, cause once I saw what Adam could do, it was like, we were off to the races. Um, and so that creative team that put this book together doesn't even exist until the first half of the book was sold. And, and, um, but then became this major, major component on the dream come true of, of getting to be on that side of things and seeing how it's made. And, and honestly, um, it has going through this process the last couple of years has completely and utterly changed my appreciation for when I read comics, right? Like it's no longer just getting lost in the story. Right. Or just escape, you know, like, like a monthly floppy and you're just escaping for 20 minutes. And then next month you jump back in. It's literally, I can see and feel the effort of the team behind it every time I, I I crack that open and read a page. Wow, that is awesome. You, yeah, you, like you were saying, nowadays, if if there are any open calls, it's for artists. You know, hey, bring oh, yeah, your, for sure, bring your portfolio. But you're able to drop that script off and 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 get it sold. You know, that's well. And what's funny is that doesn't. I mean, that that doesn't guarantee anything for anything else, right? Like right. I've got two other projects in the pipeline, and I've got a lot of work done on one of them, but I'm still back to square one. I mean. I, I got, God, I'm going to say the word again. I got lucky on this one thing, but like, I'm, I've got to get into the 21st century game. If I want my work to keep on getting out there, like that's not going to, that lightning's not going to strike twice. Correct. Uh, Ringo nominations or not. I still need to come up with the funding to get the next project off the ground. And then uh, it probably has a home, but it's not like this. It, it, when I say atypical, I'm not joking around. Like this is not, how parallel got into the world is not how comics are made these days. That's awesome, but it's still an awesome story. So, so when you and Adam are looking at the sketches and yeah. putting putting the book together, was it was it originally designed to be black and white, or was there an idea of using color? Because let me just say, I think the idea of it being in black and white really adds emphasis to the story. I don't know if if having color would have been as, I mean, because it's almost, those dreamlike scenes, the black and white just makes it a little bit more stronger in my opinion. So it's, I don't think it's fair for me to comment on how I saw it when I'm in that bubble writing the first half, because I don't have a frame of reference for what it would take to produce something at that point. That's just me and that raw energy of, of, of getting the story down. 
And could I have seen it in color at that point? Sure. But I also saw it as like three issues and that's not what this story is. So like, that's not, that, that's almost irrelevant. But once the project is in source points hands and once Adam's on board and Bob's on board um, and that decision is kind of made, I am 100% with you. Like there, there is no other decision. Um, beyond the fact that there's some, some dark, you know, there's, there's, there's dark themes in it. There's a couple of panels that Adam does that are straight out of like noir. Like there's that, my favorite panel in the whole book is that one where Landon is just deep in his depression, second half of the book. And he's in that chair and the, and the lights coming through the blinds of his window. And it's just like, I could stare at that all day and it's very noirish and that doesn't work unless it's in black and white. Right. And then just thematically, I think you hit on it, right? Like this, this is a black and white story and about the grays in between. And, yeah. and, and you can look at the, 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 the idea of gray uh, literally and figuratively for this book, right? Thematically, it's all about the gray and it's, it's this, it it's that it's neither it's both. Um, it's in his head. It's, it's real. Um, but then what Adam did with grayscale, and I think you're picking up on some of that. It's, I mean, he, he experimented, he tried things. He invented little shading techniques that he had never tried before that I just, it just really, really works. And, and man, you dig into that stuff on your reread and you're going to view panels and pages and theories that you've got about the realness or not realness a different way each time you read it. And a lot of that is chalked up to him. Yeah. That, I mean, and I'm, I'm going to bring a little bit of my print of my printer life into this. I did printing a long time ago, back in the middle ages. But yeah. when you look at those half tones and you see mm-hmm. how that grayscale just goes from one end to the other, it just, flows so beautifully it, it again this would not have worked if it would have been in color and yeah and the fact that and the fact that it was in black and white that allowed those different shades of gray to come in at those particular points in time in those particular panels just it made it so much better so much stronger so kudos on 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 that to you and and to adam for putting putting that together so you now get word, whether it was a phone call, an email, or or a letter, saying we've nominated you not for one but for two Rangos. First reaction. I was. <laughs> it caught me off guard in a big way because I was on. This was like the week before school started, and I was on vacation. I was on vacation with my family. I was up north. I was out of town. I was cut off from the world. Um, we had had a we had a couple of deaths in the family, and we had a kind of up and down summer. And and all of our vacations had either gotten canceled or postponed or whatever. And this was like this was like that last ditch attempt right before I had to go back and do the work of somehow entertaining 180 teenagers every day, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, um, you know, I, I had done a couple of events, and I, I was I was. I was turned off from school. I was turned off from, from, from the comic world. And right in the middle of that week, it was actually a text from Adam, right? Like I wasn't getting great reception, right? I wasn't, I wasn't checking uh, Instagram. I, I, I wasn't connected. I, bad Wi-Fi in this place that we were at. And I got a text from Adam like, dude, have you heard? I'm like, what are you talking about? And those things came through and I was like, are you kidding me? Because like, this is, it's a, uh, it's it's big time, right? I mean, it's it's like the Golden Globes versus the Oscars of of comics awards, and and 
and like to be nominated for two. And like, you look at who else is in those categories. Like the dude who writes Batman, I'm nominated next to for, for best writer. Like I can't even, like I, I'm even, do you notice how right now I'm talking a lot more jumbled and a lot less clear than I was earlier? Because it's still blowing my mind, man. You are in some great company, whether, whether it's, it's the, the, the best writer category or the best book you yeah. are in you are in some great company with uh some some of your fellow nominees so again congratulations on that so did you reveal any of this to any of your colleagues or to your classes and if so what were their so, reactions so not not really because i keep those two parts of my life pretty separate um you know, part of it is like as a public school teacher, you know, it's it's really easy to get in trouble. Um, there's a reason why my only social media is Instagram. Okay. And that's because before this process started, before I signed my contract with, for Parallel with SourcePoint, I had a zero social media footprint. Now, part of that is because, like I explained to you earlier, like, you know, uh, archaic when it comes to technology, but most of it is like, you could open up a news story every single day about some teacher getting fired for something they posted on Facebook. You know right. what I mean? Right. And so like I had a zero footprint, but um, in the world of indie comics, indie comics do not sell themselves, right? This isn't Marvel in DC where there's a built-in audience. Like you got to hustle and you got to sell. So you got to have some kind of footprint where you're pushing and you're doing a lot of promotion yourself. And they said, okay, we get your reluctance, but you got to pick at least one. We'd rather you do like three or four platforms and start from scratch, but at least one. And I actually um, I actually sourced it out to uh, teenage and 20-something former students. And they're like, uh, like, Twitter is toxic. Facebook is for the olds. Do Instagram. So that's how I picked that. <laughs> and so I'm like trusting the, I'm trusting the kids, right? I don't know how to take that because I'm on all three. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm just kind of like, like pushing that out there, uh, I, I don't know. Um, it, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's crazy. Like all of this is really, really crazy to me. But it's a great honor. I bet, and, and you know, and God bless the Eisners and San Diego Comic Con. But right. I have always, I have always had this feeling and this thought that when it came to true comic book enthusiasts. The cons you wanted to be at was Baltimore and Heroes Con in North Carolina. Nice. But Baltimore you go to because of the Ringos. And again, it's it's fairly new. It's it's been around for a few years. Yeah. But again, like you said, it's it's Golden Globes versus the Oscars. And sure. and and these days there's nothing wrong with the Golden Globes, you know, so Again, congratulations on on not just one. You know, getting one nomination is one thing, but you yeah. got two. You know, so congratulations thank to you, you and, and the rest of the team for that. Yes. All right. So this is gonna be my last question. Sure. It is down to five votes to determine the winner of Best Writer, Best Issue convince these five voters on parallel well i got two things to say number one parallel is 
a 64 page one shot graphic novel that gives you a lot of bang for your buck. Okay, it's a dark, twisted sci fi tale in the vein of Black Mirror that begs the question of you, the reader, what price would you pay for a second chance at the dreams you thought you left behind forever? But I'm also going to tell you this. Um, if you love comics the way I know a lot of you do, the way I do, indie comics are the 90% of the iceberg below the surface, right? They're not what sells the most, but they are what makes up the bulk of the industry. And every time you support indie comics, whether it is going into your LCS and buying something off the shelf, whether it's you're a fan of a certain publisher, or you follow a writer or whatever, um, however you end up finding that indie comic that you end up supporting, know that your dollar goes really far. You're literally putting food on the table, clothes on the back, and keeping people employed. Um, these are people who are who are making stories in the most malleable medium out there. Does things that film does, but does things film can't. Does stuff prose does, and does a whole bunch of stuff that prose can't. It is, I believe, the most malleable storytelling medium out there, and it's why it's my favorite. And when you support indie, whether it's uh, through voting, which uh, I think uh, today's the last day that you can vote. If you're a comic pro, you can vote for Ringo's Up through today, whether it's through buying a parallel or some other indie comic like you're doing the work as a fan to keep the comic industry going. And those stories and those interesting tales just keep on pouring out there. Um, and your support is what makes all the difference. The book is parallel. The writer, Jason Douglas. Jason, thank you again for joining me here at the Comic Bim Comic Book Podcast. The best of luck at the Ringos. I will be there. I will be at the table. So you make sure you have a copy ready for me to buy and sign. Yes, I sir. Will, I will be there to shake your hand. And again, thank you for joining me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It was a great honor. So again, I want to thank Jason for taking the time and sitting with me to discuss Parallel. And again, I wish him the best of luck as well as all the other nominees for the Ringo Awards this year. Uh, again, if you haven't read Parallel, I, I strongly suggest that you pick it up. I am going to put a link to SourcePoint Press's page where you can get a digital copy uh, if you want to take a reading again I highly suggest that you do uh, as Jason said printed copies are very limited now so if you want again take a look at the show notes and uh, the link to source point presses uh, webpage to order a digital copy will be there for you as well as information on where to find Jason on Instagram uh, but that is going to be it for this episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. As always, I thank you all for listening in and giving your support to the show. Uh, next time, next time we're going to do some more reviews. And uh, I haven't decided which books I am going to uh, cover yet, but we'll probably be uh, three recent books from this coming week. So, 
As always, you can find the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Uh, be sure to leave a comment or a review. I truly appreciate that. And follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. But as always, again, I want to thank you for your support. And until next time, keep reading those comics.